0: Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Clubhouse Talk. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, whatever time it is that you are joining in and listening to us. We appreciate it. Hope you guys all had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday week. This past week, we took the week off ourselves. Uh, Joe was Joe's hanging out with his family. They uh, took a little family vacation. I was down in Atlanta with my family. Um, so it, we hope that you guys all had a, a good, relaxing week and, and got to enjoy that family time. How are you doing today, Joe?
1: Good, it's good to be back. We had a, a crazy couple of weeks in our in our absence, so we got plenty to dive into today. But yeah, just kind of echo what Kylie said.
0: Hope everyone had a good Thanksgiving. I wouldn't even say a couple of crazy weeks. It's been a couple of crazy forty eight hours <laughs> with yeah, down of what's happened. I mean, uh, we've got a lot a lot to uh, dig in here. Between the MLB hot stove has been brutally hot this year. I mean, it, it's looked like MLB free agency. And then on the flip side, the, the coaching carousel in college football has been unlike any other that I think I can ever remember. Um, I, I've never seen a, a just major switches like we've seen in the last three years.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I hear that, especially just I think the manner that they were done is, is odd, too, and, and where some of these coaches are leaving to going to also is kind of head-scratching to me. So plenty to uh, digest. And
0: we will uh, try to comb through as much as we can. Yeah, let's let's dig right on into. Uh, we'll we'll start with that coaching carousel, and um, probably let's let's just go ahead and I'd say the maybe the biggest one, or at least the most the most recent one, and the one nearest dearest to your heart, there, Joe. And um, that is that is Brian Kelly shockingly um, getting wooed away from Notre Dame and heading down to Baton Rouge down there. Uh, to take over the LSU job. Uh, your thoughts and reactions to when you saw the news last night?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, it, it completely shocked me, honestly. I, I mean, you kind of run through, like, the possible outcomes in your head, and you would never think that Brian Kelly was going to leave Notre Dame to go to LSU for several reasons. One, he's been there for 12 years. Two, nobody ever brings up Brian Kelly in coaching moves. Um. That the team is still potentially going to be in the playoffs, which I guess with his absence, that won't happen, I'd imagine. Um, and then also, you know, Notre Dame is kind of like a destination spot for head coaches. So it it, it didn't – it just seemed weird to me. And then, I mean, finally just the cultural fit of Brian Kelly, a guy 60-year-old white guy from Massachusetts going down there to Cajun Country um, in the SEC – Uh, It culturally feels odd to me, I guess. But, yeah, obviously disappointed in the news. I mean, he's brought a lot of success to the program. That was kind of bleeding on the heels of the Charlie Weiss era. And he's pretty much turned it around where they're a legitimate – I mean, I feel a legitimate championship caliber football team um, pretty year in and year out. So definitely disappointing, definitely head-scratching, but um, surprising. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, I think LSU just kind of pole vaulted their way back into championship contention because the guy is a heck of a football coach. I mean, the, all you have to look at is last year Alabama had pretty much the team of the century, and Notre Dame played them closer than anyone else with you know, definitely less talent than Alabama saw pretty much the whole year. The game plan he had against them was phenomenal – um, just at the end of the day, didn't have the horses,
0: but now at LSU, he will have the horses, so it'll be interesting.
1: You brought up a lot of good
0: points, and before I get into them, I, I want to piggyback off what you were just saying there because you can you can stamp this on you know you can CC old old takes exposed whoever you want to you know record this and, and hold me to this, but I firmly believe that Brian Kelly will win a national championship at LSU before his time is done there. I. 100% believe that and there's that's for more than a few reasons and for starters the last three head coaches at met Notre Dame have won a national championship Nick Stephen Les Miles and Edo um and I think one of the things that's been holding Brian Kelly back has been having guys on the offensive line to be able to compete with those Bamas and lSUs and, and those big teams that they've struggled with in the past uh Ohio states whoever. And I think that when he's at LSU, you're going to get those guys on line of scrimmage. Those guys like to go play in a league like the SEC or the weekend, but they know that they're going to get challenged up front. Um, They're going to develop their way into an NFL style body. And I think that he's going to be able to get those guys. And outside of that, he has been a heck, heck of a recruiter. And he is, like you said, a great head coach. He has great schemes and continues to be able to coach his teams to, to victories and have 10, 11, 12-win seasons at Notre Dame, which I know they don't play the hardest schedule by not being in a conference, but nonetheless, you still have to win the games. It's not the easiest thing to do in college football to go in and win, win that many games year in and year out. Yeah,
1: and, and they still, for the most part, put together quality you know schedules. Um, definitely not, I wouldn't say a lot of them are walkovers, but um, yeah, I, I think just that recruiting barrier that, he had at Notre Dame where you have to have and not to take away anything from LSU. It's a great school, but Notre Dame is one of the upper echelon academic schools in the country. And that veil just got completely lifted where they, the guys he's recruiting don't have to hold themselves to the academic standard that they would at Notre Dame. And I think that's a reason why they haven't been able to get it across the finish line and win a national title the last couple of years. And I, I really think that he's one of the better, football minds, active in college football that has been underrated because of, you know, his lack of championship, I guess, resume. But he's put together contending teams with significantly less talent than has been in the opposition.
0: You know, he one thing I I agree with you on the culture fit, it seems a little odd um, in, in some senses, but in some ways I think it actually makes a lot of sense. Uh, If you look at it, if you look at the state of LSU and where the town is in that state, it's an extremely fertile recruiting ground. And if you look at where the best players in that state play, it's almost exclusively at Catholic high schools in that state. Who else Mm. is recruiting Catholic high schools no better than Brian Kelly from Notre Dame? Um, I, it's a small, really weird intricacy, but if you do look at LSU, that's where it's, you know, you kind of look at the state high school system and it's large public high schools and then, um, small private Catholic schools is really what the state's littered with. And those Catholic schools are the ones that are pulling in the elite talent, like you would kind of expect with high schools. And so that's one reason why I think that he'll be able to actually fit in that culture kind of well, but in some senses, I, I don't know how much he, He's going to fit in with the, it's, you know, really, really high expectations to issue year and year out. A eight one eight-win season is really easy to have happen if you get one or two bad injuries. And, you know, cause other, there's a lot of other really good talent in the SEC and it's really easy to slip up in a game or two on the road in the SEC. So he's going to have to, be able to make sure he doesn't have those slip-ups and continue to win at, this, at the same success that he was in the LSU, which is a completely different monster when you're the Alabama's and eventually the Oklahoma's, the Texas's, the Georgia's, all those teams year in and year out. It's, it's not an easy job. And there's no better example. I mean, Coach O won the national
1: championship two years ago and got fired. <laughs> I mean, that, but I mean, that's the, you know, you don't have to be an idiot to look at the SEC and look at the turnover rate of head coaches. Every school... Yeah. With the, I mean, a handful of exceptions, expects their teams to win. Period. I mean that that is it. There's no
0: there's no getting around it.
1: Yeah, they don't care how well liked you are, the fans. They don't care about anything except
0: the wins and loss column, and that is all. Hey, you know what? That's also a way to fit in the culture. Yeah, they won't care about. They don't care if you what how you look, how you talk. If you go down there, and you win ten games a year. You're going to fit in at any school in the SEC.
1: Yeah. And, and that was going to be the last piece I brought in where he does fit is he's a very intense guy and he's a winner. I mean, he does not pull punches on the sidelines. He gets in his players' faces. He yells at coaches. I mean, he is, he is an intense guy that is extremely competitive and wants to win football games. And, you know, I get Notre Dame full out was paying him 7 million. This new contract going to be 15 million, but I think, The bottom line was he didn't even give Notre Dame the chance to match that offer. And obviously, I mean, Notre Dame has no shortage of money. They have pretty much the biggest booster um, in the country, biggest boosters in the country. The fact of the matter is he wants to go somewhere where he can win a championship. And
0: And LSU is the best opportunity to do that right now. And I, and I don't blame him for it. I mean, Notre Dame is going to be, especially once the playoff gets expended, or expanded, they're going to be a perennial team to get into the playoff. But the thing that they're going to struggle with is winning three or four games in a row to go through and win that national championship. It's an extremely hard thing to do with the roster that he's going to have here in And I can't blame him for wanting to go there. It, it actually is. It's a 10-year, $9.5 million contract with a lot of incentives and stuff. So is what his contract is there at LSU. I was a little bit off, yeah. Yet, but I told you fifteen. But so well, it's upwards of fifteen with all the incentives. Incentives, yeah. So, but this is a hundred percent a career move. Of he has decided that he wants to win a national championship. And you know what? Every person is completely wired differently. You look at someone like Mark Stoops today, who just signed a massive extension, a seven-year extension with Kentucky, or eight-year extension, whatever it is, and that's someone that has decided that he doesn't care about winning a national championship. That's someone that wants the job security. He's going to get paid a lot of money. He doesn't have to worry about getting canned and he's going to go down historically as one of the best coaches at his school. And Brian Kelly probably could have done that at Notre Dame. If he decided to stick around Notre Dame and wouldn't have been an issue, but this is him saying, I want to get paid as much money as possible. And I want to go win a national championship, which when you go through the the amount of effort that these guys have to do day in and day out with recruiting and coaching um, and the talent level that they're going up against, I can't really blame them for winning the most money and the best opportunity to at least win because these guys are all so hyper competitive.
1: Yeah. I, I don't, I absolutely don't fault the guy at all. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is he's won more games in their game than any other coach in history. And he has deserved every right to go to a school where if he wants to win a national championship, he probably can. I and mean, he, he took Notre Dame from a school that was flirting with 500 every year to, I mean, they're on the cusp of being in the playoffs back to back seasons. So you can't, can't fault the guy. I mean, he, he's earned that paycheck. And if, you know, who knows? Well, I guess we'll never really know if Notre Dame was going to give it to him if he asked, but that, that's the chance he took. And he wants to go get his championship. And I think with the talent that he'll be able to source at LSU he's probably going to get one within five years.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, the thing that surprised me the most, I think about the entire move was really, I mean, like you mentioned, that Notre Dame, I mean, if they, if there's enough chaos this weekend, Notre Dame is going to be in the college football playoff, and you know, yeah. he's not going to be coaching in that. He just, that was about the only thing that surprised me from it was just that, Hey, he's not going to be coaching his team in the playoff. If he has that opportunity, but if this was his, you know, if this was one of those things where it was a deadline, he had to go and answer. Well, he did it. So, yeah. And I think, you know, I think to
1: me as a fan, that was the most disappointing part. Is like, I, I'm assuming that, like you said, LSU was pressuring him on their side to like, hey, give us an answer. But, like, you know, he pretty much, it's not like LSU season is over. It's not like that was the same for Notre Dame,
0: which there weren't very many big games out there for them to go get. They They backed themselves into a corner. Um, because a lot of the other big names that kind of gotten the one that I think they really wanted was the one that turned them down, which was the other huge name that, that did kind of the same sort of move. I would say a person that wanted to go in a national championship and that was Lincoln Riley.
1: Yeah. Did you see the package USC is giving him?
0: Yes, it is one of the most absurd things I have ever seen. And I want to break into that In a hot second, but I just want to make sure you got everything out on Notre Dame before we jump into that.
1: Yeah, I think it's all been said. I mean, obviously, it's a huge move. Um, I think Notre Dame, that job opening, you know, there's plenty of good candidates. The list hasn't even settled yet, but pretty much every name that you could possibly imagine from Pete Carroll to Urban Meyer to Luke Fickle uh, has been juggled around. Um, I really don't have any. Insight on who I think that they'll pick. Um, I think there's a couple more obvious candidates than others, but uh, we'll probably know next week when we, we hop on if they haven't hired anybody or at least some sort
0: of shortlist. If they haven't hired anybody by next week, I would almost exclusively tell you it's going to be Luke Fickle because I'm assuming Cincinnati's going to be in the playoff and he's going to wait for his team to, yeah. to finish the run. It'll be that or an NFL coach. And I think Notre Dame will have no, no problem finding themselves – a great power five coach or an NFL coach um, come, in, come over in that position. And I think this is one of the few that Luke Fickle would leave Cincinnati for. He's extremely – he wants to be extremely picky. He's he's recruited the area really well. I think that this is a real right opportunity for him to jump up the move. It was either going to be this Ohio State and Ohio State didn't look like he was leaving any, or opening up anytime soon. And boom, here comes the same world Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think
1: Luke Fickle, if I – was going to put money on it would probably be the, the one I thought initially Mark Stoops, which obviously is not the case anymore. Um, but
0: yeah. I think so, he would have done well there too. He just chose to, he wants the job security. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah. Yes. We'll jump back over to, to, the to the Lincoln. <laughs> yeah. Jump over <laughs> to the Lincoln Riley one, which came out on Sunday afternoon, which to, to put in perspective, how wild this thing, I said that LSU thought they were getting Lincoln Riley. That was kind of the whole rumor last week was going into this game at Bedlam of Oklahoma-Oklahoma State that uh, Lincoln Riley was going to become the head coach at LSU. And Oklahoma loses to Oklahoma State Saturday night, and in the press conference, he is asked about the LSU job and the rumors, and he point blank sits there and says, I will not be the next head coach at LSU. And everyone just kind of was like, well, okay, I guess he's staying. And 12 hours later, the guy takes the job at USC. I mean, it's one of those things where he's, he didn't lie. You guys just just asked the wrong question. Yeah, you asked the wrong question. I mean, it it was absolutely stunning. And I think at first everyone was like, why on earth would you leave Oklahoma when you've got this kind of this massive program running and just an absolute machine and leave to go out to what's somewhat of a dumpster fire at USC at the moment? But the more and more I've sat there and thought about it. Contract details beside uh, aside, which I do want to get into of just how hilarious some of this stuff is, but there is a long-term goal here, I think, that he's looking at of Oklahoma moving to the SEC, and he sees that he's not going to be able to be top dog, and he's not going to have this easy road to the, to the playoff every single year, being in the SEC, having to face the LSUs, the Bamas, Georgias, etc., Meanwhile, out in the Pac-12, it'll be a lot like it was at US or at Oklahoma, and that you win your conference, you go, you win eleven or twelve games, and boom, you're going to be in the college football playoff year in and year out, and it's going to be a whole lot easier out there in Southern California and a very weak division in the Pac-12 South. And look at the pool he gets to recruit from. Oh, There's yeah. nobody to
1: go up against other than Oregon on the West Coast. Where when he's, I mean, he's battling against Sabans, you know. Obviously, it was a couple of days later, but you know, Brian Kelly, Kirby Smart, the whole SEC is who he's going to be recruiting against now. Not even, you know, it's not even comparable. He's got all of California, all of those West Coast guys. He's got a school that's actually an attractive destination, not in the middle of Oklahoma. Um, you know, he'll be able to get top tier talent, and like you said, he's not going to have to play the best teams in the country the whole regular season. He's going to have his his smooth walk to the playoffs with top talent his team will probably be more well-rested rest, than, you know, the whole SEC teams that are going to be there. And then also I think it just speaks volumes that he just didn't see Oklahoma's program moving in the right direction. Yeah, I think, I think this whole season for Oklahoma has just kind of been like hell on wheels for them with the whole Spencer Radler fiasco. They just weren't, aren't a very outstanding football team. And then, He's looking a few years down the road, and he's like, "I got to compete with these guys every week." There's no way, and now he's going to, you know, probably the same way it was at Oklahoma the last few years, where he'll be an excellent recruiter because he's a very good football coach, an incredible offensive mind. He's like a QB guru, and he'll be able to get these guys out into a West Coast school that's got a history of winning. They play in the Rose Bowl. I mean, it's it's an absolute
0: like recruiting paradise. he's going to get a five-star quarterback at of Southern California every single year. He is at USC. Um, mm-hmm. Every single year, there is some prospect coming out of there and the SEC schools, most of the time are trying to go out there and try and poach them. And they're probably not going to be able to anymore with a competent head coach there. I, I, a lot of people have kind of dissed on USC because they've been so down. And I know that it's not the SEC in terms of, it's not a super passionate fan base. And there's so many other things to compete with LA in LA, multiple uh, four different what I think four or five different NBA pro or what well, you got two basketball, two NFL, two baseball, NHL, what pro teams? But outside of that, I mean, I think that if you put on a winning product, they showed back when Pete Carroll was there, they'll show up and they'll show out. what if you have winning product, and it will become cool again, and they needed the right head coach, somebody that would go in there and would give them a splash, and this is it. I didn't know that they were actually to be able to do this sort of hire. Um, but I don't blame them because I think that this job was better than the Florida job out there. I think that LSU was a better job than, than USC because of the recruiting ground in LSU and the fan base and everything else. But I think that USC was absolutely a better job in Florida because of what you have to deal with and how much easier life is out there in Southern California than it would be to a school like a Florida. 100%. I, I absolutely agree. I mean this is the first big
1: name coach USC's had since Pete Carroll. Yeah. I and mean, if they haven't had, anybody stay there for any meaningful time. Um, so I, I'm interested to see, because they were kind of the Alabama before Alabama. Not, not nearly as long of a dynasty, of course, but they were the team to beat for the whole middle 2000s.
0: I know. I mean, I, and I don't think that Lincoln Riley is going to get them there tomorrow or you know, next year or anything. It'll take, it's going to take them a couple years to rebuild this roster because there's not much there. Yeah, absolutely. Give them two or three years to rebuild this roster. And I would be absolutely floored if they have not won, a, won at least a division, if not a conference championship, in three years from, from this year. Because that's how, how easily it's going to be to be able to build this up, especially because of the uh, the transfer portal. I mean, you look at Oklahoma, I feel really bad for them. He's basically, Lee and Riley's taken like half their staff. They've lost like, o- almost um, 10 recruits in the last what couple days since this has happened. Uh, it's just been a pure disaster. I mean, and as a Tennessee fan, I can tell you, I really feel it because he's basically doing what Lane Giffen did to Tennessee in this sense. I mean, he's stripping this program down and they're getting left in the, in, in the dust. But at the same time, I think that Oklahoma is one of the most kind of recession-proof programs in the country. They really have only had one bad stretch in the 90s outside of that. They've always been good. And if, yeah. they, if, they're, if they get the right hire in there, which I think they will do, um, they will move on, and they will continue to to click. Probably not at the same level that they were, but they'll still be a very competent program moving into the. Yeah, season.
1: they were good before Lane Kiffin. I mean, who's to say that Bob Stoops won't come back and they'll be fine? Anyway, <laughs> honestly,
0: he is doing honestly. the year of
1: coach. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I'm I, I'm sure Oklahoma will be able to salvage something. I'm not I'm not worried about them because the fact of the matter is they. They still are one of the top programs in the country right now. So that's another you know, big-ticket job that's going to be out there. I don't think it's going to be quite as easy of a path as Notre Dame um, for whoever takes over that because you know you got to be ready to roll to transition a program into playing in the SEC every week, which I don't know, you know how that process would, will be. But uh, I'd imagine it's going to be somebody
0: with a, a big name so that they can get back on the recruiting train. Yeah, that one's going to be a little bit tougher. I I mean, maybe a—I would say a Matt Campbell, but I don't know. Matt Campbell's always said he doesn't really want to take an SEC job, and that's what you have to look at Oklahoma is now. It is an SEC job. Absolutely. Um, Just because they're going there. I mean, you have to view that for the long term, however long it takes for them. I think it'll be sooner rather than later. But so I I don't know if Matt Campbell would leave, um, but whoever does leave for that position, it's going to be, Another domino that's going to continue this coaching carousel, which has been absolutely wild. Uh, I, I know we've hinted at a couple of times, but I do want to let's, look, let's talk about this contract for a hot second here, Joe. $110 million. USC is buying his house in Norman for $500,000 over the asking price. Uh, you have a $6 million, they're buying his $6 million home in LA. And then also he's getting unlimited use for his family of the private jet 24 7. Uh, it's stupid. What, got a, what, a, a, <laughs> what out of those things is the most shocking or like most impressive thing that he talked them into here?
1: Buying his house in Norman for 500 K <laughs> over the asking price. It's ridiculous. Like how does that even get brought up in a contract? Like, Hey, you know what? I'd, I'd love to be your next coach, but to cherry on top, I want you to buy my old place plus an extra 500 K over an already inflated housing market. Like it, it's hey, like a, it's like it's This housing a market's to tough.
0: It's tough, man. You got to get that money to be able to sign it. I I don't even think that's the wild one. The really wild one to me is that he's asking them to buy his house in L.A. He's getting paid 110 million dollars. You tell me he can't afford a six million dollar house after what he's probably already selling is a multi million dollar house in Norman.
1: I don't. I, the whole thing's just baffling. <laughs> and he wants to go to Disney World and he can hop on the University. Southern Cal's private
0: jet. If his son or, you know, if his wife was to just be able to go fly to New York to go do some shopping for the weekend, she's just going to take the jet and rack up miles on the thing. Yeah, it's just fascinating. It's really impressive. I, I I don't know if we'll see this type of stipulations <laughs> and and, co- and coaching contracts to go forward. I don't know if I've ever seen. It, probably there have been some weird things like this that maybe didn't get publicly reported. I don't know. Um, I mean, I'm sure
1: I, Saban has <laughs> the keys to the college. I just in my mind, I have it funny, like as like, you know, he's intending not to leave Oklahoma and they kind of say, all right, what it, what is what's it going to take? It's like. Funny you should ask, and just kind of slides in this grocery list of crap that he wants on top. They of accepted it all. Yeah,
0: I mean, good on him, I guess. Yeah, good on him. And and like we said, it's a hundred percent. I think a competitive move that he just this is him deciding he can't win a national championship in Oklahoma. And you know what? I, I would not be shocked if Oklahoma didn't didn't talk to him when they decided that they were going to move to the SEC. It was an extremely close to the chest type of process that they didn't want leaked out. And maybe this is kind of his reaction to that and saying, like, well, screw you. I, I don't want to go to the SEC. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go somewhere else. And this, if that is the case, what a horrible, horrible miscalculation that Oklahoma has a program to jump should move
1: to the SEC. Uh, I mean, I think the, we've, I mean, we talked about it ad nauseum earlier this year, but I think the whole move is just not intelligent for them. Or I mean, certainly not Texas. Texas can't win the Big 12. It can't be Kansas. <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> uh, it can't be I mean, Kansas.
0: How are they supposed to go compete with anybody outside of Vanderbilt?
1: Beats me. But, um, yeah, so crazy, crazy. crazy, yeah, no, crazy. That, that's weird. Really, I mean, in succession, probably two of the strangest head coaching moves that I've seen probably since, I mean, Really, I mean, you alluded to it earlier. Really, since like Kiffin was 10 Tennessee, it's like the most. It's been like what?
0: Like these? That was oh nine, yeah, oh nine ten. I mean, it's just yeah. you don't really see a lot of these big Power Five to Power Five jumping ship of true blue blood programs, especially and once yeah. they have the been teams, teams in the playoff. Like there, I think there's been like six six teams or something that have been in the playoffs since it started in 2014, and these are two of the teams: Oklahoma, and Notre Dame, and they've left. That's what it's, – it's
1: strange to me because it's not like they're at, like, struggling schools. Like, they're at the pinnacle of college football right now, and they're leaving to go to, you know, granted, very high-ranking power schools but that are kind of in recovering situations. It's, it's just odd to me, I guess. I, in a sense, I guess they're both kind of doing a, a grass is greener sort of move. And I think a lot of it's recruiting based when it comes down to it, honestly, I think, you know, as I open, it, it opens a new door for Brian Kelly and Lincoln Riley is essentially going to have a monopoly in California, in my opinion.
0: No, I mean, I, I'm right there with you. I think that he's going to kill it. I think Brian Kelly will kill it. Um, and it just, you don't see this. The, and especially when there haven't been, the last time I'd say that there probably was a big, big one that, like this was Jimbo leaving from FSU to, a but in that sense, there was bad. There was a really bad relationship between Jimbo at FSU and leadership at the school, and so it made a lot of sense for him to leave. There, there, ha- there was no bad blood here. So to start seeing these type of teams jump sh- or these coaches jump ship, I mean, this is stuff that genuinely hasn't happened since 90s and 80s. I mean, this is stuff of 20, 30 years, just where it happened two times in 24 hours. Mm-hmm. So. And, and they're not the only ones. Um, Billy Napier was hired by Florida, uh, which I was a little bit surprised at because it seems like Florida, this was the guy they wanted. And it's the guy they went after and caught. It doesn't sound like they really went after anybody else. And not that Billy Napier is a bad coach. I just don't know if he's if he was the best possible person they could have gone out there as a Tennessee fan. I'm certainly not scared by this hire, I would have been a lot more scared by a Matt Campbell or a uh, Lane Kiffin type hire instead of uh, Billy Napier. Now Napier might build a nice program there. He might be able to recruit the state of Florida. Well, but that one I guess was a little bit surprising to me that that was the one that they honed in on from the beginning. When I got their guy, it's just, I'm I'm interested to see how that one works out. It's such a large program.
1: Yeah. I think, I think they probably just wanted something a little different, honestly, after, their last two coaches, Mullen and I think Muschamp is one before him, correct? It,
0: yeah, and before that was McElwain. They haven't had a great list in the last, last few Yeah. Years.
1: And it was all kind of SEC-ish guys, maybe like you know, offensive coordinators, stuff like that. Maybe they wanted somebody who knew how to run a program and just keep it under control. Because I I think under Dan Mullen the last couple of years, I mean it, it was kind of like a slipping like he was his own worst enemy in my opinion. Like just some of the comments he made in press conferences like could never Seemingly get his teams up for games. Um, I think they just wanted somebody who's a true leader, and I think that's what they got in, in Napier. Um, and and who, who knows? I mean, I don't. I don't know that he's going to be your guy to bring you a national championship and you know make them the king of the East over Georgia again. But I, yeah, I don't. Th- I think it's a very safe hire,
0: if that makes sense. I, I agree. I think safe is probably the right right way to put it. Um, if he can get in there and he can recruit well. Um, who knows what he can do? I mean, you've got FSU is down at the moment. Miami is down at the moment. So the state of Florida is kind of making. But right now, for anybody to go up and beat Georgia, um, you're gonna need something pretty special. So I think Napier is gonna be that guy to be able to, to take down that recruiting machine that's pretty smart right now. But you know, that's kind of an only time will tell I guess, type of thing. Um, and then the last I get big, big coaching hire was Sonny Dykes going to TCU, taking over for Gary Patterson. I like that move for them. Um, SMU coach has done very successful there at SMU. He's going to be able to stay there in the state of Texas knows really, really good recruiter of high schools in the state of Texas. I think that'll be, that'll be really good. Probably keeps TCU on the same type of level. And with the big 12 list or with Oklahoma and Texas coming, going out of the, the big 12, I think TCU and Baylor, in Iowa state are kind of there right for the taking there in, in the top dogs of the big golf year in and year out. So I, I like this move a lot for him. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's literally next door from SMU. So um,
1: won't be a big culture change, just a, a little bit more high power program
0: and I'm sure he'll fit in fine. Absolutely. So, I mean, that, like we said, this has been all in the old well, Sonny Dice I think was hired maybe a week ago, but the Billy Napier news Started on Sunday early afternoon and then followed closely by Lincoln Riley on Sunday evening or sun- Sunday mid-afternoon. And then um, Monday evening, you had the news of Billy Napier as we're recording here on Tuesday nights. So, I mean, it's just been a wild, wild coaching carousel. And it's by means nowhere close to being done because once more coaches get oh. hired, once coach get hired, another coach is going to be gone. So and it's gonna be a continuous process. Somebody is going to be really, really upset at whoever they end up with because they're just gonna be left for for change changes the very end of the state. And you better look some your team.
1: Yeah. And I, I think yeah, you know, the the biggest seat of the offseason just opened up. I mean, personally, and I, I think historically Notre Dame's probably one of the biggest head coaching jobs in all of football, not even college. Um, so I think I think a golden chair just
0: opened. This that is a like you said at the very beginning is a destination. Job. This is a job that a lot of people retire for or retire at. And, you know, they they leave you go retire, and they will get whoever they possibly want for this job. There are very few people that would say no to this. Yeah, I I agree. So we'll, we'll see where see where that runs. Um, we'll we'll kind of jump back to the the I guess you. Uh, We were talking about Notre Dame possibly trying to be able to make it away in the college football playoff, which is just wild to even think about. Because if you told me a month ago or asked me a month ago, Notre Dame had a shot to get in, I would have said a 100% chance they do not get into the playoff. And here they are sitting at six uh, before the college football rankings tonight. But, and I'm going to guess that they'll probably move up to five um, with Ohio State losing to Michigan this past weekend. I wouldn't be surprised to see Ohio State drop to six and Notre Dame up to five. Michigan will jump in there. Um, and take Ohio State spot probably at three, two, two or three is where – probably two, I would think, with Michigan. Cincinnati three and um, Alabama four is what I would mm-hmm. imagine it would look like at the moment It, it is what I would at least really see. But you look at it, and there's a lot that can happen, and there's a lot of possibilities come this Saturday. I think Georgia is in 100% no matter what, win or lose to Bama. So you've got Alabama, Michigan, Cincinnati, and I think Oklahoma State – actually, Oklahoma State could jump ahead of Ohio State all the way up to six. Oklahoma State will be six or seven. And I think Oklahoma State is in this position as well where if they win, they control their own destiny in terms yeah. of if, if they win, they will get in. They can hop in over any team. Um, Oklahoma State, I think, will need Georgia to win. Obviously, um, if Alabama wins, because they're because then the SEC is going to take two spots. But first, I don't even see Alabama having a chance this week against <laughs> Georgia. With the way they've looked this year and the way Georgia's looked, I don't know how Alabama's going to move the ball.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm hesitant to say they don't have a chance because um, I think any as long as Nick Saban can still coach, they'll always have a chance. Um, but I, I agree with you. I think the odds are stacked against them um I do like the point you made about Oklahoma State I think that's probably the most logical team that's kind of been floating around there that they could easily jump in there Um, I'd imagine they'd jump Notre Dame at this point because they're not going to put Notre Dame with an interim head coach in the playoffs I don't I don't see that scenario happening Um, obviously Ohio State won't make it uh two loss team conference champions not going to get in um so I think you know Really depends. Alabama, Georgia, Georgia's in hell or high water. They could lose by 60 and I still think they get in. Um, So I think you got Georgia, Cincinnati.
0: um, Since he does have to play a good Houston team this weekend and they could easily, they have looked really good the last couple of weeks. I expect them to win that game, but it is not a, it's not a guarantee for Houston to, or for Cincinnati to get in, but it is a guaranteed spot in if they win the game. There's no chance. Of it yes, so yeah, it, yeah. It's a win and you're in. And it's the same thing for Michigan on the other side. Otherwise, I think if they lose, the Big Ten might be might be SOL. I, I don't know how Iowa would get in with two losses. And I don't see a, you know, I don't see a two loss non-conference champion getting in.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think I think if Michigan loses the Big Ten sitting this year out, um, I think that it would be very michigan S to lose to Iowa, to be <laughs> honest with you. Um, but they're the better team. They should take their business.
0: I mean, it, it's like you said, it's the same thing as Cincinnati. Winning in, losing, you're out. The scary um, thing for Michigan in that game is that that's going to be a defensive game. And when it is a defensive game, there's not going to be a lot of points scored. It only takes one mistake and can flip an entire game. I mean, one fumble, one pick six, one block – one kick return I mean it does not take much when when you're talking about a game that might finish 2017-20 17-13 20, type of game and I, that's kind of what I see being a two teams that love to run the ball and two teams that play defense really really well Iowa has no offense but their defense has scored a bunch of points this year they're very capable of doing it and that was a huge huge win for Michigan not just not just for the stakes of what they did to get them into the big 10 championship, it's just like a program win. they hadn't beaten Ohio state in forever. Uh, you have Jim Harbaugh finally gets that monkey off his back. It is really hard to turn around the next week and now have to go play a conference championship game. It's just such an emotional win in a really easy spot to have a out a week later.
1: Yeah. And Ohio state's been Michigan's national championship for the last 20 years. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, everybody has acted like Harbaugh is now, like one of the greatest coaches in college football, but the guy still has a horrible resume in college. I don't care what this win against Ohio State does for him. He's like one and he's like two and 12 against rivals. He hasn't really won any big games. Um, I mean, even before then, Notre Dame was – if you consider Notre Dame a Michigan a rival, which most people did, Brian Kelly was spanking him around the bush. Um, so, the guy hasn't been a great big game coach in college, so – I'll be interested to see if you can string two together.
0: Well, will do. I mean, they haven't, they still haven't beat many teams. I mean, Ohio State is by far the most impressive win of the year. And outside of that, they really don't have any other big wins um, of, of note. I mean, they did lose to Michigan State, and that was a huge rivalry game for Michigan State. And then you saw them kind of have a, have a big letdown the week later to Purdue. Now, Iowa's a better team than Purdue, and I think Michigan's better than Michigan State. But it's the same sort of aspect and the same sort of mindset that, Just this huge layout spots. So it wouldn't surprise me one bit. And then that's kind of, I think, the big avenue for Notre Dame right there, because I'm assuming Georgia wins. And if then you look at it and you have Michigan losing out, um, that's probably, you know, now you're opening up two spots in one for Oklahoma State. And I think the other then would be for Notre Dame in that scenario, because I think Notre Dame would get over two losses for those other teams. It would be really interesting to see if Bama. One or Bama had a really, really close game and maybe lost on like a last second field goal, or you have Iowa do the same, you know, knock off Michigan last second type of thing. And then you have that sort of scenario of do you want to put up a one loss Notre Dame to those close losses, you know, two loss teams, but I still in that scenario with one loss Notre Dame consent.
1: The danger I think with keeping Alabama in is the only scenario where Alabama is in the playoff after they lose to Georgia is if they're four. And so you'd have the same game twice.
0: Yeah, that's that is true and they do not want to do that.
1: No, they don't want they to do that. Before. But I think I think Brian Kelly I mean really screwed Notre Dame cuz so I really do not believe that they're going to let Notre Dame in with an interim coach. I really don't think they will, especially playing against Georgia. They're just not gonna let that that's gonna be bad TV. They I know they want good games. And so it's like, do they do they want to risk that? The only thing Notre Dame has going for them is they have a massive following. <laughs> so it, it might get good TV ratings. But I mean outside of that,
0: First I, just, quarter. I can't I can't see it. I just can't see it happening. I'm right there with you. It's it's gonna be absolutely wild um to see what happens on. Saturday afternoon or Saturday all day long, you got the championship games, and then you'll roll right into the the playoff uh, picking on Sunday. And it, it is really refreshing, though, to see all these different teams that you haven't seen. I mean, we talk Georgia's even technically a new team; they've only been in the playoff once. We talk about them in the same line of an Alabama and Ohio State, but they haven't been in it like they have. They've just been in the conversation. they just haven't gotten themselves in. They've only been in the one time in twenty seventeen. So you got Georgia, who is. Directly, a new team, someone you don't have a lot. You got the potential to get Michigan hasn't been in it. Oklahoma State hasn't been in it. Um, Cincinnati, obviously, you have your group of five team finally could get in it. So it's, it's really exciting this year. It's really it's really exciting. We've talked about it all year how wild it's been, and and we're starting to really see the fruits of that here at the end of the year. Yeah, I
1: mean it, it's been crazy all year, and it's it, no shortage of drama towards the end of the season either.
0: So the the last sort of bit of drama, I guess you could say, is that the Heisman is absolutely beyond wide open coming into this week because heisman's been known as a typical uh quarterback type of award and the two theoretically best quarterbacks of the year have been cj stroud and bryce young in terms of heisman favorites and both of them are going to be probably out of the playoff and then it's like well shoot who the heck do you pick now um there's no big there's no Devonte smith this year there's there's no oh, Kenneth Walker was a running back and Michigan state's been eliminated. So I, he's going to be out of the race. And it's just, you're, you're going to look at this and I'm probably somehow some way Bryce Young is still going to find a way to win this freaking award, which would be absolutely stupid. But considering he, I don't even think he's the best player on all of his roster, but I think that there could be a case for multiple defensive players this year that could win the Heisman. And I don't know if any of them will one a, a defensive players never truly won the Heisman. Charles Woodson was also a return specialist, and that was a big reason why he won his in '97. But uh, Dominican Snell probably should have won it when he was in Nebraska. That was one of the more controversial ones. The defense I should have won. And then outside of that, it's really never come close. I think this year you've got more to do it.
1: Yeah, and I think the first name that comes to mind is Jordan Davis, right? I mean, the guy. Yes. Just, if you're If you're looking at who the best college football player is.
0: It's, it's him
1: Davis. 100%. And and I think that's unanimous. And I think that's what bug, has bugged me so much about the Heisman Trophy Award. Like, they're sitting there scratching and clawing, trying to find a quarterback or a running back. Like, go off merit. Go with the guy who's the best college football player. Yeah, it, that's what the award
0: should – I mean, it's supposed to be the most outstanding college football player. They, and he doesn't maybe have the stats that blow you off the page because the guy's like 6'9 and 400 pounds and can only play like half the stats of a game. It's just – physically incapable of him playing 80 steps a game. But if you look at him when he's on the field, he affects every single play that he plays because it takes two blockers. And most of the time he still beats those two blockers and completely clogs up the middle of the defense. If they're trying to run the ball, pass the ball, whatever. And he, he dominates a ball game when he's in there. And I don't see any reason why he shouldn't. I think that Will Anderson at Alabama absolutely could mm-hmm. I think He's the best player at Alabama. And I think that if you're going to give it to, if you're trying to give it to Bryce Young, um, why are you not giving it to the best player on that team? And that would be Will Anderson. If you're going to vote for an Alabama player, it better be him. And then I even think Aiden Hutchinson at Michigan deserves a little bit of talk. He, he's he been in dominant defensive alignment. He's gotten, I think, what, ten and a half sacks this year? It's unreal what he's done for Michigan.
1: Yeah. I mean, you you name three guys that are all more deserving, in my opinion. Than I think last time I checked, C.J. Stroud was still the, the number one betting odds, which – that to me is absurd. And Bryce Young, I just I mean,
0: come on. Like there's better college football players out there than that. And Isn't that it, way too many people. That there's a lot of Heisman voters out there. One, there's way too many. And two, there's a real a lot of them are uneducated and they're gonna just look for the best quarterback, the best one with the best stats. But I think that this could be a real a, I 100% believe that whoever wins this year will have the lowest amount of first place votes of all time. It'll just be really interesting to see, one, who gets to New York, and two, how the votes kind of shake out. Because defense. there's enough of the big-name college media that's starting to kind of try and poke at the defense of, like, hey, there are guys who should win. It feels a lot like Devontae Smith last year when it was the last couple weeks and people were like, no, don't give it to Mac, uh, Mac Jones. Devontae Smith deserves it more than Mac Jones. And it worked out. I don't know if it'll happen this year, but at least they're getting more talk than they've ever gotten before. Yeah, and rightfully so, because
1: there's no outstanding offensive player this year, and there's plenty of really, really good defensive players, and one of them's on the number one team in the country.
0: And he's been a big part of that team's success. Oh, yeah. I mean, Georgia's defense is what makes Georgia Georgia this year. It's hair, so yeah. dog, So why are you not giving it to the you can get to the best player on the best you know, on the best team of what makes them great which is Jordan Davis is their best player on defense and it's why George is great so that's the way i look at it so that kind of covers it for all the college football players it's pretty pretty wild just the amount of crap to to talk about um and it's only going to keep getting more wild with transfer portal and more coaching stuff, but we'll have the whole off season to keep talking about it. And come one week, we'll have some, some playoff discussion to talk about. So before we, uh, we hop out of here, let's, let's bring it on over to what I alluded to at the very beginning, which is the MLB free agency, which has been really, really wild. Just like the, uh, the coaching carousel has been in that, we talked about there might be a potential lockout this year with the collective bargaining agreement ending. And I thought that this wasn't gonna be a very active offseason until that ended. It's gone the complete opposite way. Everyone wants to get their stuff signed and they want to get they want everything done before that lockout potentially happens. And so you've seen all, a lot of this the top players coming in this offseason have all signed already.
1: Yeah, I mean it, it it surprised me as well. Um there's one top player that hasn't signed yet, which I'm sure we'll talk about that uh I'm kinda of surprised it hasn't. Uh but yeah, I mean, the all the moves today and, and the end of yesterday, it's pretty pretty telling that guys are ready to go. And and this is sort of even earlier than when it really ramped up last season, too. Yeah. If I if I remember correctly. Because I, I know the Braves made an early splash right before Thanksgiving.
0: Um, but nobody that was else when they got Morton, I think, was right. Morton and Smiley. Yeah. But um And and we are, yeah, most of the time it's really been about late. It's been that kind of mid-December to early January timeframe is when a lot of people have been signing lately. But you've got Corey Seager, who is arguably one of the best people to be out there on the free agent market. Um, He's had a 10-year contract with the Rangers. The Rangers also signed up Marcus Simeon on a seven-year Rangers, or seven-year deal. So they just absolutely cleaned up their middle infield for the next seven years and you know that when you've got a brand new ballpark, you got to be able to sign them and you've got to be able to have stars to get people to come into the ballpark to be able to get that revenue. And it's good on them for spending the money, they really haven't spent it on a lot. They're starting to get the rebuild. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it works out for them in terms of will it be successful, contracts. Uh, they're gonna try and, and uh, sign that all up. So, you got that, you've got Robbie Ray, five year deal with the Mariners. Um, Max Scherzer, a forty-three million dollar per year for three year with the Mets, which I'll jump into. We'll jump back to in a second. Kevin Gosman, five year with Blue Jays. Sterling Marte, four year with the Mets. Who also signed uh, Matt Kanha and Eduardo Escobar. And then you got Javi Baez today, who signed a six year contract with the Tigers, which that one really surprised me as well. But um, so really, that's what six of the seven of the top ten guys I think this offseason signed. But the one that didn't. So far, Freddie Freeman. Yes.
1: I personally am not worried about Freddie Freeman. I think somehow the cards are going to align and he'll end up in Atlanta. Um, I'm surprised that they haven't been able to figure it out by now. Honestly, I was kind of surprised that they didn't figure it out during the season last year. Um, but I guess when does it become cause for concern if we don't hear about Freddie?
0: That's a great question. Um. <laughs> don't know if there's a date on it i would say march definitely you'd be concerned (laughs) but (laughs) i think he'll be signed by march so i'm not that worried um but i would say it it, it really is just it's coming down to an any day type of thing because i think he wants to get it done with and what the numbers I'm hearing, it's exactly what I predicted coming into the offseason, which was $60 or $180 million is what I heard from today is what Frey's asking for. It seems like the snafu is not the money. It's the years. Between Frey's one five, Freddie won six, which I believe that we're really getting into an argument about this fickle of a thing. But um, it seems like that's the snafu that's holding it back at the moment. Which, I mean, we, we talked about earlier today. It's
1: ridiculous. There's, there's really no need to dive into it any further. If, if after everything that the Braves have done, or Freddie has done for the Braves, even before this World Series, that he hasn't deserved a sixth year, then I don't know who's running the front office, but I know they, they shouldn't be there. Or who, who's signing the checks,
0: It's a better way to say it. It, it would be the worst miscalculation of a franchise since probably the Marlins stripped out their franchise before right after winning their World Series in ninety-nine or 97. Or 97. what um when they just tripped out right because they went to absolute just trash can after that. And I think that this would be a gross miscalculation on the Braves part because they will lose so much in the World Series where they're going to make sure they do not have Freddie Freeman on this roster because fans will do it in spite of them.
1: Yeah. And he deserves, like, he has been number one in Braves jersey sales, like, since he was 24 years old. Like, I, I just I don't really understand how they can't just concede a year to him. And not even concede. I mean, he might still be good in
0: six years. He, I mean, what? He's like 30, 32. I mean, to say he's not going to be productive at 36, 38 is absurd. He will be. I mean, look at Paul Goldschmidt. He's in his 40s and he can still rake. Yeah. Look at what Albert Pools did for so long. I mean, he was still extremely productive in his late 30s. Yeah. So I, I don't understand it. And honestly, by then, you're going to have a D, you're probably going to have a DH by then. So God, if the guy's, if, a, if he's still hurt on hitting, I probably can guarantee he's going to be able to to or be, not maybe will be able to field with the same thing, but he will be able to hit pretty well. Nelson Cruz hits at 46. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I don't get it. It's baffling. So, um, but the Max Scherzer deal was surprising, just blown away at the money figure. I think, um, the, it, it just really is crazy. to think that a pitcher is going to get $43 million a year. I, I think we said this last year when Garrett Cole got his big contract with the Yankees, or I maybe mean, it was two years ago. Um, no pitchers worth that much. They pitch every five days.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, the guy is awesome. He's a phenomenal pitcher, but
0: he's not worth $43 million. I'm sorry. You don't even know what you're going to get. Like- he's been injured before. He's old now. I, I understand that he's one of the best pitchers in the game, but it doesn't take much for a pitcher to get hurt nowadays, especially a guy who has had a little bit of an injury history of late and just really a- – shocking move to me. Not that he went to the Mets. That's not necessarily shocking. I guess it's just shocking that they're willing to risk that much money on him. And I'm not even scared about it as a Braves, because the Braves have faced Max Scherzer his whole career uh, from uh, being in Washington, and then they hit him well in the playoffs this year when he was out in L.A. And guess what? I'm going to con- continue to guess that they hit him well in New York as well. Doesn't I scare me. Mm-hmm. But uh, and the Mets are definitely going, going all in on this off season yet again. They seemed like they did a lot of big moves last year and they're kind of going back at it again this year. Um, they're really trying to, to get their way in. Yeah.
1: I mean, the Mets, it, I mean, if it's, it's the same thing in every year for the Mets, if they're healthy, they're going to be a good team. If they're not, they won't be. And they just added the, they're paying their second guy in their rotation, 43 million dollars.
0: Yeah, it, I don't see any way that they'll be able to get their money well for it. So, no, I don't think so. Well, outside of that, I think that pretty well wraps up the news talk of the last few days. Like I said, we've got a lot of weeks to keep keep things on tabs. Here is things will slow down, um, and we can dive into the NFL talk more. But this is we've had a lot of a lot of breaking news and a lot of head stuff to to. Jump into, so. Uh, we appreciate you guys checking in and, and listening with us as always like like rate review subscribe to this podcast share with your friends we are getting down to the holidays so that you know maybe maybe that's the gift for you. you you tell them a new podcast start listening to it, it's a free it's a free podcast can you imagine that that's the best type of gift right there so um we appreciate it as always we'll, we'll keep you guys posted and God, hopefully the next time we talk to you, we got we can do breaking news. Freddie Freeman has signed podcast. That would be that would be the dream. Yeah, that would be a good one. All right, everyone. Well, appreciate it. Have a, a good rest of your week, and we will talk to you next week.